This week, I was uh, sitting down in my office, just having my normal devotions. And the way I do my Bible reading, and this is something I've done for years, um, I always read a couple, three chapters out of the Old Testament. I read a couple, three Psalms. I read the proverb of that particular day. So if today was, today's the seventh, so today would have been the Proverbs number seven. And then I eat, read two or three chapters out of, uh, the, the New Testament. So two or three chapters out of the Old Testament, two or three Psalms, the daily proverb, and two or three chapters out of the, uh, New Testament. And then what I do is every day I start where I stopped. So I don't get to choose. I don't get to pick and choose what I read. I just read sequentially. And this particular week, I opened my Bible to the Old Testament and went, oh, I don't like numbers. (laughs) How many of you guys have ever, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever read the book of Numbers? It's like walking through 16 inches of wet mud. (laughs) There is an incredible message hidden in there, but you gotta slog through it to get to it. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good idea. Underline the good truth and just skip everything else. (laughs) But believe me, I'm being faithful to read every stinking word. And this particular day, I was reading Numbers chapter 1 verses, I mean, yeah, Numbers chapter 1, 2, and 3, and all of the verses. And believe me, it is not something that was very edifying to my soul at all. But what was crazy, just like our friend Ruth just said, there was something that I needed to underline. And I thought, Wow, interesting. And I literally said to the Lord, is that going to be my sermon for this week? Or is that just for me? And then he didn't give me an answer. And I just, I've been mulling on it all week. And I literally, as late as last night, and again, as late as this morning said, is this supposed to be for this this sermon this morning? Or was it just for me? And then literally, it was like, everything got downloaded. And I went, oh, okay. Now I mix it. Because the Lord allowed it to percolate for the whole week. And every time I think about what I had read, I I shared a little bit on Wednesday. Somebody said, what's your sermon on, Pastor? I said, I haven't a clue, but I think it might be this. And then I still question it all week. But but, but the bottom line is, as I was reading again this morning, Numbers chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3, God just downloaded some really cool truth that I want to share with you guys this morning. Now, we're not going to read through all of it because you would all be asleep in five minutes. It is that boring. I mean, I'm not going to be unkind. It's just really boring. But I'll give you just the gist of it, okay? Moses and the people of Israel have already left Egypt. They have gone through the the parting of the Red Sea. They have gone into the wilderness of Sinai. And God has already given them instruction about the construction of the tabernacle. The offering has already been taken, has already taken place. And, uh, the artisans, the two artisans 
Belial and Aholiab or whatever his name was, um, have led the people, the, all of the artisans of Israel to craft this beautiful tabernacle. And now God is giving Moses instructions about how they are to camp. Okay. So what they do, literally, if you were to do, get a drone and go up above the nation of Israel as they were camping in the wilderness, they were literally forming a cross or a plus sign. And God said, if you read through this, God said, you group, you group of people, you go this way, north, and you, you go east, and you, you go west, and you, you go south, and guess what was in the very center of that cross or that plus sign? The tabernacle. And guess what was emanating from that tabernacle? The pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire, which represented the presence of the Almighty in the midst of the nation of Israel. That's pretty cool. That's really cool imagery. Thank you, Jesus, for that blessing. That's not it, Bob. Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> this is really boring, God. Yes, it is. Keep reading. <laughs> well, if you get to the end of chapter 1, God has already instructed Moses to have to call all of the chiefs of each of the 12 tribes and said, come before me, I'm giving you instruction. And then he sent them back out and they were to count Every male over the age of, I don't remember what, if it was 20, if it, was it 20? Because I, I, I've read too many numbers over this last week. Huh. Yeah. Firstborn. Number is 20. Okay. So he, he said to instruct them to count over the 20. And now, so if you go through the first part of chapter 1, literally it says, this guy, his family had this many people. This guy, his family had this many people. This guy, this family had this many people. Well, then you get to, to verse 47 in chapter 1. And God says, I'm taking the Levites for myself. What? Well, it doesn't explain it so much in chapter 1, but it does explain it in chapter 3. And what's really cool is when God has a census taken of the Levites, their total number is 22,000. You'll see that in chapter 3, verse 39. There's 22,000 Levites amongst all of this nation of Israel. And God said, I want them in the center with me. And then if you read verses 40 to the end, verse 51 of chapter 3 of Numbers, you find out why the Levite, the number of Levites was significant. And what it is, God said to Moses, I reserve for myself the firstborn that opens every womb. That is the standard. It has always been the standard. It continues to be the standard. And so every firstborn belongs to me. So then God says, I want you to go back out and count all the firstborn among the nation of Israel, not counting the Levites. And the number comes to looking at verse 43, 22,273. So God said, rather than me taking the firstborn out of every house, I'm taking the Levites. They're mine. 
Oh, and by the way, you people of Israel, since you're getting to keep your firstborn, you owe Aaron and his family the money that would have been paid to redeem these 273 extra firstborn that I'm not calling. And so literally, the people of Israel take up a collection and say, here, we're redeeming our firstborn. And so now God's people that minister to God around the temple are the representative of the firstborn of all of Israel, the one that God claims for himself. Now, all of this is really intriguing and interesting. And then there was this verse that I read as I was going through all of this, and I'm going to have to go back and find it because I didn't highlight it in my Bible. Because I didn't want it highlighted. I don't like to highlight arcane thoughts. Only things that are powerful and dramatic. But this one said, where is it? Here it is. Verse chapter 1, verse 51. When the tabernacle is to set out, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. If any outsider, now this is someone who's not a Levite, okay? They are Israelite, but not a Levite. If any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. Well, that's nice, God. How does that bless me? But that's the verse that gripped me this week. God has reserved for himself the firstborn of all of the nation of Israel, but representatively, he pulls that as the Levites. And he assigns the Levites, his chosen among the chosen, to be ministers to him. And he said, these are the only ones that get to see my stuff. Anyone comes near other than that, I'll kill him. Well, that's really frustrating me, God. Because I, I live in the United States of America, where I grew up as a part of the me generation. Anybody who's been around long enough understands what that means. You drink Pepsi because you like Pepsi because you're a part of the me generation. You do what you want. You live in the United States of America, for heaven's sakes. You've got freedoms. And nobody can take them from you because they're inalienable rights that are given to you by your creator. Says so in our constitution. Therefore, I live my life how I want, when I want, where I want. I go where I want. I can be anybody I want to be in this country. As long as I have the resources and put my mind to it and apply myself, I can do what I want. So don't tell me I can't come into the holy place if I want to. You mean I'm going to get killed? Wow, that's not fair, God. And I literally went through this mental gyration this week going, but if somebody had the passion and the desire and they wanted desperately to serve you in that way, God, why not? Because I'm God. And it's what I say that's important. Not what you want. Not what you desire. Not what your passion is. I call the shots. You want to be in relationship with me? This is how it goes. I don't play. This is how it goes, Bob. You can't tell me what you're going to do. You ask me what I want you to do. Got it? Well, I understand that, God. I agree, but I don't understand why. 
And then I was reading the next day or the next day, and I don't, I, I didn't write the notes down because it was boring. But they again, God gave out specific assignments to various people. There were some people that that were, that, I mean, that were part of the Levite tribe. But he he said these were the people that got to you know carry and fetch and carry for God. And God said this group of the Levites is going to take care of the curtains of the tabernacle. And this group of the Levites is going to take care of the poles and the bases, the framework that holds the curtains. And this group of people, they get to carry the show table, the, the, the table that holds the showbread and the great menorah and the altar and the holy of, I mean, the holiest of holies, the Ark of the Covenant. Now, they better not look underneath the goatskin because this stuff has been already prepared and covered by Aaron and his children. They're the only ones that are allowed to see the actual article. Aaron and his kids were assigned the task of covering everything with certain cloths. And then there was these goat skin coverings that went with poles coming out. And then once they were readied by Aaron and Aaron's sons, then the tabernacle could be disassembled. Then the Levites would come and each one taking their assignment, do what they were told to do. And then the the column of fire, I mean, excuse me, the column of smoke or the pillar of fire would then lead the nation of Israel wherever God wanted them and would settle over a spot. And then the Levites would start assembling the tabernacle. And once the tabernacle was set up, all the Levites left and Aaron and his sons went back in and started uncovering all of the articles for the worship. And then they placed everything and worship began again. In that new place. God had a specific order that he wanted done. And it was done by the people he specifically chose. And if anybody tried to fight against that. They were killed. But we western Christians. Do whatever we please. Whenever we please. However we please. And I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. But I honor this woman who's sitting in our midst this morning. I did not expect to see her this morning. I fully expected her to say legitimately, I'm injured and I'm old and I'm not getting out. And I'm staying home and resting and recovering from my injury. But this woman of God said, I need to be in the house of God this morning, no matter how hard it hurts, no matter how difficult it is for me. And I honor that. And quite frankly, there are people that I wish I could slap them upside the head. And say, look at this. What's wrong with you? Who do you think you're playing with? This is God we're talking about. You don't just flippantly say, well, it's not comfortable for me today, so I'm not going to come to church. Or I don't really feel motivated and moved to do this ministry, even though it's needed. If God has put it on your heart, then it's yours to do. See, these aren't fun words. These aren't words that I like. But this is what I kept hearing from God this week. I am the one who orders the universe. I am the one who orders my church. I have specific reasons for it. You don't have to understand why. You have to just do. And if you won't do, I'll find someone who will do. And you'll lose the blessing. So I chewed on all of that. Then later this week... I see this 
pop-up video from Seedbed, which is from the Wesleyan Publishing House. And I was like, I love Seedbed. And it's they do these, what are called seven-minute sermons or seven-minute blah, blah, blah. Uh, seven-minute seminary, maybe, is what it is. But there are these videos. You can see them on YouTube. And this guy starts speaking about something that's near and dear to my heart, spiritual formation. And, I mean, that's what my master's degree is in. That's what my passion is. That's what I feel drawn to do, to try and help others become formed in the image of Christ. And he's talking about all of this, what it means to be spiritually formed. And it just reminded me of the quote that was part, was key to all of my training, which is the quote that has been on the screen before you all this morning. Christian spiritual formation is the process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. Now, number one, it has to be Christian spiritual formation, not just spiritual formation, okay? Anybody can be spiritual. The only thing that's acceptable is Christ. Number two, you need to be formed by going through a process. It is not just haphazard. You don't train in a gym just by doing whatever you want willy-nilly. You have to follow certain patterns in order to see the success, to reach the goal. Same thing in the Christian world. There is a process that takes place for us to become better Christians, to become more Christ-like. I love this word conformed. It has a sense that I'm not the one doing it. That I'm being formed. I'm, but at the same time, this I'm being formed is also a joint thing because the clay has to submit to the potter in order for the potter to successfully form the clay. If the clay continually fights against the potter, the potter will scrap the thing, smash it back down, and throw it back into the slag pile and start up with a fresh piece of clay. You hear what I'm saying there? When we say, I want to be like Jesus, we are literally giving God carte blanche. You may do with me as you want, God. I recognize that there's great benefit to being in relationship with you. But to be in relationship with you, I recognize that I have to be formed to the image of Christ. And the last part of this, for the sake of others. Think about that. It ain't about you. It ain't about you. This Western mindset of Christianity. Name it and claim it. God will bless me. I'll have Cadillacs and thousands and big houses. And I'll have vacations and I'll have condos. That's not what this is about. And even I can pray and God will hear me. And I'm going to get more than I ever dreamed or imagined. That's not what this is about. We are supposed to be formed into the image of Christ so that others will see and be drawn. Now, let me be unkind. How many of you are walking images of Jesus Christ right now? 
I don't want you to raise your hand, but I want you to seriously do an assessment of who you are in relationship with God when you hold up the standard of Jesus and you hold up your own life, what do you see? Now, let me give you a for instance in case you're struggling. Look, or write down this note and look at it later. Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 46. Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 46. And Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now, I don't know if you've done any study or not on what this little thing talks about with this. He, he being in such great distress that literally his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down from his forehead. Is that what it said? Drops of blood falling down to the ground. I've read commentary on this. What this is talking about is Jesus's physiology. He was under such great stress. He was so much wrestling with the, the worst thing he ever had to deal with. And there was such great stress and he was tensed and everything was hard and he was and it literally caused the capillary bed in his forehead to burst. And blood began to pour down off of his face as if it was sweat and dropped to the ground. He literally was under that much stress in this one decision. God, I don't want to walk this path. God, I don't want to drink from this cup. God, if there's any way your will can be accomplished, let it be so other than this. But nevertheless, your will above mine. Always your will above mine. Is that you? Is that you? O oh, child of God, who walks in the power of the Holy Spirit, who claims sanctification. I am no longer a slave to sin, and I'm walking in the power of Christ. Is that you? Is that how you live? In such a way that when the people of this world see you, they see Jesus. And see, 
The one thing that I've been struggling with in my own heart over the last number of months is I am a holiness preacher. I am from a holiness denomination. And one of the problems in our Western evangelicalism is many of us Christians forget that it is not our strength that we are using to become like Christ. It is the power of the Holy Spirit of God which conforms us to the image of Christ. It is a matter of I submit. I allow. I welcome. I will not fight against. And God, in your power, use me, shape me, form me, mold me. Let me be an instrument that causes others to bring praise to you, O God. And it all goes back to this idea in numbers that God is in charge. You don't get to choose what your role is. If all you get to do is carry the toilet paper for the priest, then be proud. God chose you to carry the toilet paper. No one else gets to do this. Instead of looking and saying, but they get such better stuff than me. They always get the better things. Because that's not Jesus. That's not the way we're supposed to live. There's a song that we're going to close our time with. It is in the hymn book. So if you have one near you, it's hymn number 480. Four hundred and eighty, if you can find a hymnal in your pew. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy Hold on my being 
absolute sway. Fill with thy spirit till all shall see Christ only always living in me. Father God, I give you these people and I ask that you would do with them as you will. I ask, Father, that they would submit to your Holy Spirit and allow themselves to be conformed into the image of Christ so that others can see and turn their heart to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.